Thank you very much, choir. Beautiful, beautiful song. Well, I have some bad news for you and some good news for you. Bad news for some of you is we're going to go way past the hour. Good news is we've got a meal prepared for you today. So when your stomachs are growling, the good news is you don't have to drive anywhere. You can just walk down these steps and go straight to the fellowship hall because Stewardship Committee has a meal prepared for you. I'm going to ask Mr. Cook if you'll slip to the kitchen there, let them know we're going to probably go to 20 past the hour. Thank you. That will help recalibrate everyone's expectations. Here we turn our Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. We're going to turn to verse 35. Don't worry, I love you. Some of y'all got some making up to do. You haven't been here in a while, so. Yeah. We don't get mad around here. We just get even. That's right. Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verses 35 through 39. You've had enough exercise for today, so I'm asking for main seat as we read God's word. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. I only pick on you because I love you. Remember that. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a pew Bible in front of you. You can turn to page... 945, hear God's word this morning. The Apostle Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Glory be to you, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Father, what I pray is that your love would shine through clearly today in this message. That we would see your, your love displayed in the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection and ascension of your, your son. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our eyes to see Jesus clearly. Help us to see the love of Christ as we live in between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. Father, that is our goal today, is that we would focus upon that theme of Advent this morning, the theme of love, as we look at it through the lens of the already, but not yet. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Recently, I received two new gifts that were shocking to me. This is a new tie that I received just yesterday from a friend here in town. Uh, yesterday, I, can, I preached a funeral, and at the graveside, I noted to one of the men that I really liked his tie, and I joked with him and said, you should give it to me. And he did. <laughs> it's a nice tie. I plan on wearing it Christmas Eve. I was shocked by this, this gift. It was just so random. And it was so selfless in giving of him that he just gave it to me, took it off right there at the graveside. 
This is another gift that I've been given recently. It's an iPhone 12. Yeah, I was shocked by this gift. And I say this not to brag, uh, but to just let you know this was a gift that I was given. And I was shocked by how radical and costly and valuable of a gift this is. So these two gifts have just blindsided me recently. And I asked these two individuals why they gave it to me. And, and the one who gave me the tie said, I love you and I love how you preach the gospel every funeral that I attend that you uh, conduct or preach or officiate. And I know that the person that gave me this phone gave it to me as well because they love me. Now you might think that these people gave these gifts to me as a way to try to bribe the preacher. For some people that might be true, but I know for these two individuals, they find bribery a behavior that's repugnant. And so what I've seen in these two gifts is a demonstration of these two individuals' love for me and their support of me. It's been a great source of encouragement to me in, a, in, the, in the matter of a season, in the midst of a season that's very hurried. If you're ever around the church throughout the week, you will hear me burst out into singing sometimes. Most of the time, it's a song of joy. Occasionally, it's a little bit of sarcasm, particularly when I sing the song, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. I don't know that it is the most wonderful. It's definitely one of the most busy and hurried seasons, if it's not the happiest season. Why do I bring this up to you today? Because we're in the Christmas season. Most of us are stressed, all of us are hurried, all of us are busy, and some of us even feel lonely, and some of us are grieving. But in the midst of that, as I was blindsided by these two gifts, I want you to be blindsided by the greatest gift ever given. And the greatest gift ever given is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Particularly, the greatest gift given is issued and demonstrated in his love for us. His love that's been demonstrated in his virgin birth and his sinless life. His love demonstrated to us in his substitutionary sacrifice on the cross for our sins. His love for us in conquering Satan's sin and death and his resurrection and his continuous love for us in being ascended and sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And so this morning what I hope and pray is that as we unpack this passage of Scripture together that you will be blindsided by Christ's love for you. There are a multitude of gifts that Christ offers you this morning. There are a multitude of gifts that Christ's love offers to you. But because of time... And past time, <laughs> I only want to focus on two gifts that Christ's love offers you this morning, revealed in this passage. The first gift that Christ's love offers for you, well, before I say it, let me say this. I'm convinced that today's sermon could change your life forever. I'm convinced that the passage that we're taking a look at today should transform your entire relationship with Jesus both today and for the remainder of your life. 
Because the truths that are entailed here should change everything. And so the first gift that Christ's love offers for you today is, number one, motivation for obedience. Motivation for obedience. You see, here's the fear that every gospel-centered, Christ-centered, Presbyterian Reformed preacher preaches with every Sunday. Every pastor is fearful that you will leave church on a Sunday morning thinking this thought, well, I just need to do better. I just need to try to be better. And that may be true that you need to do better. You need to try to be better. There's no doubt that Christ commands us to be obedient to him, that we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. But what this passage reveals to us is what should truly motivate your obedience. It's not guilt. It should be love. Because in Christ, we see God demonstrating his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our assurance of pardon said, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so what should happen in our life and in our hearts as we leave here every Sunday is that we should see the duty of obedience married with delight. And we should see gratitude officiating that marriage, that bond. How do we see love in this passage as the motivation for obedience? Well, verse 35, Paul asks, Who shall separate us for the love of Christ? And then we see in verse 36 that he highlights for us, Not an exhaustive list, but a representative list of things that R.C. Sproul says could drive a wedge between us and our Savior. So he asks the question, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Shall distress? Shall persecution or the fear of being martyred or, or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then he goes on to say, in verse 38, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor ruler, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. In other words, what John Murray says in his commentary in this passage is that the Apostle Paul writes this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not allowing room for any loophole whatsoever. In other words, what should motivate you to live for Christ and to be obedient to Christ no matter what you face? The answer is Christ's love for you. I'm going to be buying Jennifer some Christmas presents. Do I have to? Yes. I do. I do. But should that be the only reason that I buy my wife a Christmas present this year? No. How many of you would agree that I should want to buy her a Christmas present? Okay. I appreciate the men that did not raise their hand. I know you're as stingy as I am. I appreciate that. Confession is good for our souls. I should want to. Why? Because I love her. 
And trust me, I love her because she first loved me. <laughs> the Apostle Paul highlights for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 all the different things that he had endured just by about 57 A.D. in his walk with Christ. He says, I've, in, I've faced imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I've received at the hands of the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with, ro- with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and... Apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And what kept the Apostle Paul serving Jesus? What kept the Apostle Paul motivated to obey Jesus? It was Christ's love for him. As he expounds in Romans 8, 35-39. Reminds me of a story I heard uh, this past week about the three-legged pig. How many of you have ever heard the story about the three-legged pig? Uh, I don't know if it's a true story, but it's a good story. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a farmer by the name of Farmer Brown who had a three-legged pig. And one day, Farmer Brown was at the local uh, baseball game, and uh, there was a new news reporter, a, tel- uh, a newspaper reporter, that noticed that Farmer Brown had a a three-legged pig that behaved often like a dog. He would tell the pig to sit. The pig would sit. He would tell the pig to, to, to shake his hand. The pig would shake his hand. And so the newspaper reporter asked some people, said, what's up with that pig? And they said, oh, that's Farmer Brown's three-legged pig. He said, you ought to go by the house and see what all the three-legged pig does for him. And so sure enough, the newspaper reporter went by to check out the three-legged pig and Mr. Farmer Brown. The newspaper reporter noted that the three-legged pig would fetch the newspaper in the morning for Farmer Brown. When he asked Farmer Brown how the three-legged pig came to be about a, being a three-legged pig, Farmer Brown said, oh, this, this pig is very well-loved and is the finest pig you'll ever, you'll ever meet. This pig, one time the, the prairie around us caught on fire and this pig squealed on the front porch while the, while the hound dog just laid there asleep. He said, this, dog, this, this pig has, has been better than, than any dog that we've ever had. Uh, he, one time, the, the, the kids fell out of the tree, and they broke their arms and broke their legs, and, and the pig came and squealed, and we went out to them. The newspaper reporter said, but why does he have, why is he missing one leg? Farmer Brown said, well, a pig that you love that much and is that good, you don't eat him all at one time. <laughs> you know, we can misunderstand God's love for us. We can think that serving Christ involves no suffering. But it does. But what will propel us and compel us to keep serving Christ in the face of suffering? What will motivate us to be perfectly, seek to be perfectly obedient to Christ in the face of hardships? It's Christ's love for you demonstrated in Christ. 
Friends, the love of Christ is what should compel you and propel you to serve Jesus. When you leave here today, I don't want you to leave here just thinking you need to do better or be better. But you should want to leave here today being closer to your Savior. That's the first gift that Christ's love offers us today is that we have motivation for our obedience. The second and final gift we're going to take a look at today is that the love of Christ offers you assurance of your salvation. The love of Christ offers you assurance of your salvation. You'll see in verse 35 and in 39 that the phrase of being separated from the love of Christ or separated from the love of God appears twice. He says in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then in verse uh, 39, he says, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so really the concern of all of Romans chapter 8, if we had time to unpack the whole chapter, is the issue of safety. It's the issue of security. In other words, who is safe in Christ? And we see Paul's mindset in this passage that he highlights for us the fact that we, nothing or no one can ever separate us from Christ. Why? He says in verse 37, because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The Greek word there means that we're winning a most glorious victory. It suggests it's a lopsided victory between Christ and Satan, that Satan is no match for Christ. The victory is lopsided. The enemy is completely routed. And then he says in verse 38, for I am sure that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. In other words, Paul has confidence. Why? Because of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf in redemptive history. That he came in his first advent, being born of the Virgin Mary, perfectly sinless and pure. He lived a perfectly obedient life to Christ. He died in our place. A one-time, all-sufficient sacrifice, never to be repeated again. And then he resurrected. Reversing the curse of death. And now, he says, he's seated in heaven, interceding on our behalf. What's the gift that Christ loves offers you? Not only a motivation for obedience, but assurance of your salvation. We see in verses 31 through 39 in this passage, we didn't read verses 31 through 34, but there are six to seven questions that the Apostle Paul asks, all that are rhetorical questions, all that assume the answer, no one or nothing. Look at he says, verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? Nothing. If God is for us, who could be against us? The answer is no one. Why? Because Jesus did not spare his own son, God the Father did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will we not also with him graciously be given all things? Of course we will. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? The answer is no one. Why? Because it's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? No one. Why? Because Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and indeed is interceding for us. And then he asks the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. Nothing. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... Absolutely not. 
What's the point Paul's making? You have assurance of your salvation because when Satan comes to you and tells you, Tanner, you're not good enough. You have an advocate through Jesus Christ who says, not only to the judge of the universe, but that judge that his heavenly father, he says, Father, I object. Why? Because Tanner's sins have been covered by my blood. Look at my hands, look at my feet, look at my side, look at the scars around my head. Father, I object. Because his sin debt is paid for by me at the cross. And he intercedes constantly in that way. Several weeks ago, Jennifer and I had the privilege of going to Georgia for me to conduct a a wedding ceremony. And we went to one of my wife's favorite places. It's her happy place called Sonoya, Georgia. Georgia, for those that live there, they call it Sonoy. Um, Just a wonderful town. They filmed a lot of movies there and a lot of nice places to eat and some ice cream to, to consume. But I love going there now as well because every time we're there, I have a, a privilege and opportunity to meet people there. It's just such a friendly town, it's just a nice town. And every time that we've been here the last two to three times, I've had the opportunity, the privilege to get involved in a gospel conversation, a spiritual conversation with someone. In fact, several of the managers, several of the owners of the shops have out, allowed me to actually pray with them and pray for their businesses. It's just been a blessing. And so our last trip there, we met a lady by the name of Cheryl Wood. Cheryl was there uh, visiting her sister. They, her and her sister found Sonoya, Georgia to be a nice meeting point, a stopping point between the two of them where they could visit. And we got into a spiritual conversation with Cheryl and her sister. Cheryl graciously allowed us to, to sit with them at the restaurant that they were eating and just have a spiritual gospel conversation. In the midst of that conversation, Cheryl asked me a question that was a loaded question. She said, Tanner, you're a pastor at a Presbyterian church. Let me ask you the question. Do you all believe once saved, always saved? I thought, ooh, that's a loaded question. Because the answer is technically yes, right? That's what we believe. Once saved, always saved. And so I had to explain to Cheryl. I said, but Cheryl, I kind of hesitate to say that because I don't know where you're coming from in this question. And the reality is that sometimes that answer is misunderstood. Some people think, well, since Christ loves me and Christ's grace has secured my salvation, I can live however I want. And I said, I just want you to know, Cheryl, that's not what I mean by once saved, always saved. That's not what the Bible means by once saved, always saved. What it means is that those that Christ has saved will live in obedience to him. And Cheryl said this, and I'm quoting her today, and she might even listen to the sermon today, so I better footnote her. Cheryl looked at me and smiled. She said, the way I like to say it is, Once saved, really saved. And that's correct. Once saved, really saved. And that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at here today. Is that if you've been saved by Christ, you're really saved. Nothing or no one will ever be able to separate you from the love of God. Demonstrate and poured out. Upon you in Christ. So I want you to leave here today with newfound motivation for obedience and assurance of your salvation if you've trusted in Christ.
Because who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What in this world could ever separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is resounding, no one or nothing. Why? Because if God is for us, who in the world can be against us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to gather in your house to worship you, to dig into your word and be fed by your word being read, sung, prayed, preached. What I pray, Father, is that we leave here today knowing that it is your love that saved us, knowing that it is your love that will sustain us, and knowing that it is your love that will keep us secure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray and all of God's people agreed, saying, Amen. Let's respond with a hymn of response that's printed in your bulletin this morning. He will hold me fast. If you will, please stand, and we're going to sing all three verses.